0: Welcome to City on a Hill Church, Forest Hills podcast. We exist to lead people to love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coahforesthills.org. So if you do have your Bibles, please open to Psalm chapter 1. This is a wisdom psalm, it's the very first of 150, and it's one of my very favorite psalms. Um, I am sort of new to Boston. I've been here about a year working with Send Relief as a counselor for pastors. Having been a pastor for a long time in the western part of the state, and also working for BCBC as a marriage and family counselor. Uh, so I divide my time and I have an office in Tremont Temple downtown. So um, I'm, I've been immersed in Boston culture for a year now. My wife, however, has been out in the western part of the state at our home. We're trying to get on the market for rental and having some problems with that. And, um, so, it's been sort of like this transition period for a year. And I've had people ask me, So, are you happy in Boston? And I think, Well, back home, I live right on the Appalachian Trail. I mean, it goes right by my house. And behind me is woods that goes like, I don't know, 50 miles north without anything in between. And um, there's mountains in the front yard that I can see, Mount Greylock and all those other kinds of mountains. So I raised my family there. We raised our family there. And um, my wife has perennial beds everywhere. Uh, So coming to Boston was somewhat of a a transition, maybe borderline shock experience, Uh, learning the tea and transportation. And I think, well, what are the kinds of things that would make me happy um I think being close to the T is a, is a real plus, right? I can just step out my door in t- on Tower Street and walk 2 minutes to the Forest Hill T. That that's a great thing. Um it's a it seems like a safe neighborhood, so I can imagine my wife walking around, finding places that are green and you know going to the arboretum and she even likes the cemetery over there, which she doesn't like cemeteries typically, but She sees all these angels in the cemetery that are um, like an angel theme. And um, there's Franklin Park. So there's there's a lot of good places in this particular area that seem very attractive and sort of, you know, country-like. So yeah, Boston is good. The, The question that we're often asked in life is, but are you happy? But are you happy? And you you immediately go to sort of this happiness quotient of like what kind of factors go into making me happy? And is that really the sort of the standard for success? Is that really what we're striving for? In the world, that's sort of like what it's about. It's like find happiness, be happy. and if you get these factors all lined up, then, you know, you can say, I'm fairly happy, but if I just had, you know, um, a, a better sense of community for my children or, um, you know, financially, you know, if the prices in Boston were just like a lot lower and we could afford housing better, I'd be happier. Um, and And it seems like, Happiness, in a sense, is always just like a grasp away, just beyond our fingertips, right? We can't quite get to it. When we make happiness the goal, we're never quite there. It's just beyond us. And When we think we get there, then we realize that we're really not. There's something else that we're sort of discontent with that needs to get in line. It becomes like a circumstantial opportunity to to pull things together and to try to keep them there. In this Psalm, we read that the truly happy person or the blessed person is not the person that is circumstantially all set, but there's something else that truly consists of the blessed life of of God reaching down and showing favor to his people. So that it's more than just being happy, it's about being blessed by God. It's recognizing that there is a God in heaven who notices and who showers blessings upon us. And he does that in particular, to people who meet certain qualifications. And the main thing is, if the person is choosing to walk with God, choosing the path of righteousness. And so the psalmist begins with, How blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor in the path of sinners, nor in the seat of scoffers? So the first thing that we learn here is that happiness is avoiding certain things. There are certain things that if we avoid, we will set ourselves up for blessing from God. And the first thing he says is don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Walking refers to your way of life, right? It's what you believe, and what you believe is true is the way that you walk, the direction. And we're told in the Bible by Jesus that there is a way that does seem right to a person, but the end of that way leads to death. And he calls out to us, and he says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there's many who are traveling on that road. But the gate that leads to life is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there's very few who travel that path. And so when we look around and we think about the blessed life, we, we, we sometimes think, well, it's the life that everybody is seeking. And if everyone is doing it, then it must be good. And by virtue of the fact that there are so many people who agree and we're heading in a certain direction, we are tempted to follow them in their path. There is a counsel that comes from the world that is not from God. There's voices all around us that are telling us what we should be doing. We hear them all the time. Be happy, have your best life now. Strive for financial success. Climb the ladder. Don't let anyone get in your way. Secure good boundaries and protect yourself. You deserve this or that. James tells us that there is a wisdom from this world um, that does not come from above but comes from below. It, he says it's earthly It's natural. It's demonic. He says, Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. This is the kind of wisdom of the world. It tells us that it's about us. It doesn't extend beyond this life. It looks at the world in which we live and our own lifetime. It's about now. And he says that it leads to every evil thing. So there's jealousy and selfish ambition and disorder and division and argumentation. And it even ends up to, in, in, at, in some cases, in murder. This is the kind of wisdom that the world teaches us. But he says that there's another kind of wisdom, and that's the wisdom that's from above. And he says that this wisdom is peaceable and gentle and reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. This is the kind of wisdom that comes from God. And the more that we learn about the wisdom from above, the more we're able to discern about this these other voices that speak to us of wisdom that's not from above. So, um He says, do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Become discerning. Understand the voices that you're hearing and make sure you stay away from the counsel of this world. And then he says, do not join with those who are living by this worldly wisdom. He says, do not stand in the way of sinners. Now, when I first read that, I thought, well, what does it mean to stand in the way of sinners? And is it to to block their path, you know, to keep them from going where they're going. But really what the text is saying here is don't go where sinners are and associate with them to the extent that you start to join yourself with them and to become allied in their thoughts. I think there's an example uh, that's worth mentioning in Proverbs 7 where we read about this um, this fellow, this naive fellow, he gets up after a long nap during the day, and he sets out in the streets looking for the place where this person stands. He's, he's, he's hungry for something. In his soul, there's his desire to meet her. And so he naively walks down the street toward the place where he knows she will be. And there's a voice that calls out to him. And she's very persuasive, and she convinces him that this is the perfect setup and that he can come and enjoy and really find fulfillment in life. Well, he listens and he listens until he finally turns and follows her. And it says in the text, that he does not realize, but he's like an oxen being led to the slaughter. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And so there is a sense in which when we stand in the way of sinners, when we put ourselves, position ourselves in a place where they are, that we will be influenced by them. The Apostle Paul says, corrupt, evil, Company corrupts good morals. Those people that we hang with, that we listen to, that we collaborate with, will affect us, will influence us, and we will become like those who are our closest friends. So he says, Don't listen to the counsel of the ungodly, don't stand in the way of sinners, and don't sit in the seat of scoffers we know scoffing, right? We hear it all the time. People who make fun of what is holy. They laugh at Christians and think that anyone who believes in Christ and the Bible is naive and simple and uh, lacks intelligence. And so they poke fun of it, at it. Uh, And uh, they tell us that the Bible doesn't exactly mean what it says, that it's full of superstition. They redact the Bible, removing parts that they don't agree with. They reinterpret that which is intended as literal to be metaphorical. And pretty soon they shed doubt on our confidence in the word of God. So that we begin to question, did God really say? Can I really believe this? And if they've done that, they have accomplished their task. They have undermined the authority of scripture in our minds. And yet, for Christians, we are told that faith is that element that God calls us to. It's not based on this um, absolute evidence, proof that scripture is true but that without faith it is impossible to please him. that Those who come to him must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So there are those three things that a person who really wants the blessing of God, happiness in life does. He does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly He does not stand in the way of sinners, nor does he sit in the way of scoffers. But what he does do is he delights in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So the person who truly wants the blessing of God is the person who really puts the word of God central in their life. I remember as a young man, uh, I was only 17, I used to visit um, my friend, Gail, who later became my wife, and would go to her house, and sometimes I'd see her sprawled out on her living room floor, and she'd have her Bible uh, in one place and her journal and notebook and all of her colored markers, uh, pencils, and she'd be color-coding things and writing in her journal, and I'd say, you know, so what are you learning? And she told me all about what she was learning from her Harper study Bible and um, from writing in her notes and what the Lord was speaking to her as a 17 year old. And I said to myself, that's the girl I wanna marry. That's the girl I want to be an influence in my life. And so um, we went to different colleges. We didn't date until after college and eventually we did marry but it was, it was clear to me from very early on that she was a person who was informed biblically. And I would say to you that the person who truly wants to be blessed by God is the person who will delight himself or herself in the law of the Lord and to meditate on his promises, on his commands, on his precepts, day and night, this is a practice that I have done for many years, as I have decided that I'm going to memorize Scripture. Um, I didn't do it because I'm a great Christian. I did it because I was desperate, because I felt insecure in myself, because I didn't have direction, because I was confused. And so what I decided to do was I was going to memorize books of the scripture. I was gonna continue to review them and let them mull over in my heart. And so I began with Ephesians, and then I went to 1 Peter, and then I went to Philippians, and I continued to memorize scripture. And as I did that, a funny thing happened, is every time I would do this like on the um, treadmill, every time I would do anything cardio after that, the scriptures will come back to my mind. I'd start running outside, and I'd start going through scripture in my mind. i think, this is really weird. There's like this connection, this, this muscle memory that whenever I exert energy, the scriptures come back. And so I thought, how cool is this? But I think that it's the most wonderful thing that we can do, and I'm, I'm just really trying to encourage you to think about this, is just take a a passage of scripture, like Colossians 3, 1 through 16, and begin to memorize and to meditate on it. I have gone over Ephesians hundreds and hundreds of times. The the book, just, and every time I do, I can start the first chapter again, and it comes to life in a very new way, and it applies to whatever situation I'm in at the moment. So, that is the Holy Spirit who takes the word of God and he begins to speak to our hearts. And he'll do it continually if we have the word of God hidden. What did David say? He said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That your word is a a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It keeps me from stumbling. It shows me where to go. It gives me direction. So I would say that the person who is blessed by God, happy, truly happy, is the person who is biblically informed, not just academically, but that the word of God is feeding our souls and giving us the strength that we need to move on. It clears our thoughts, it gives us direction, it gives us strength and courage to move on. Then we read that the the person who is blessed by God is also the person who delights in the word. And I like to think about the word of God as um, similar to chocolate. You, re- you remember um, Forrest Gump talking about chocolate. The you know, great quote, you know, my mother said that life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get until... Use you, you bite into one, and that's probably true. Unless you were in my house where my sister would go through the whole box, turn them over, and stick her finger in them and find out what was, what was there before she ate them. And it's gone, Oh, Linda, come on, get your grimy fingers off the chocolate. But life is, in a way, like a box of chocolate, the Word of God is like a box of chocolate, and that the more you eat, the more you want. You want to continue to come back to it. And yes, in a, in a sense, you don't know what you're going to get because you can read the same passage over and over again, and the Lord will take it and apply it to different aspects of your life. He will speak to your heart, to my heart, in those time when, times when we are truly in need. And then thirdly, um, that the person that's truly blessed is consistently focused. Um, and, and, I, and I think about just how important it is to, to be single-minded. There, there are so many things in our day and age that um, distract us. You know, I have one in my pocket right now, and um, when I travel on the Tee, I see people with it in their face continually, you know? I mean, it's like, we cannot live life without our phone. And I think one of the things it teaches us is that we must be doing four or five or six things at once in order to feel productive. You know, there's no downtime. We are constantly multitasking, and we can't really focus on any one thing very long. Well, what we learn in scripture is that meditation requires a focused life. It requires focusing on the text, on the truths of God's word. And as we do that, they become alive to us, and we begin to process them. You know, you say, well, I can't I can't read very well or I can't focus. I have ADHD, you know, this is just not my thing. Um, begin to try it. Take Psalm 23, for instance. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And sit with that for a while. What does it mean for the Lord to be your shepherd? He's the one who takes care of me. My shepherd. Mine, yours. He cares for you. I shall not want. It means I won't lack anything. He's going to take care of all my needs. Is that true? Is that what it says? Can I really rely on him to take care of me in everything? And then I begin to think about my needs, and I list my needs, and I say, Lord, these are the needs I have. Will you take care of these? I don't know how to pay the rent this month. You know, on and on and on. I'm having relational issues with my wife or my, my, my work partner. You begin to talk about those to the Lord. That's beginning to that's when we meditate on the scripture. Meditate on the word and let it get in you. And he says that when we do, what happens? The benefits are that we're like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. So this is this is the rivers of water. And we're soaking up the nourishment. That God has provided for us. It is food for our souls that God has given us. You will be like a tree that's planted. You're not going to be moved. You're going to be right next to the source, soaking up the water, the nourishment. And it's going to go up into the furthest extremities of your branches, and it's going to bear fruit. And what's that fruit going to look like? It is the fruit which God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in, according to Ephesians 2.10. It is the fruit of righteousness. It is the result of you bearing, it is the result of your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your gentleness and your self-control and your long-suffering. This is the result. It is the fruit that you will bear in season. It's, going to, it's bound to happen. Why? Because you've positioned yourself in the right place. You haven't positioned yourself among those who are giving poor counsel. You're not standing in the way of sinners. You're not sitting in the seat of scoffers, but you're planted by the rivers of water because the word of God is your source. It is your sustenance. It is food for your soul. And you will bear fruit in season. God will use you. Your life will be fruitful and profitable for his kingdom. Is there anything greater than that? What else counts? When you close your eyes in death and you know that you have served your God and you have had a fruitful life, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. However, look at the contrast. The wicked are not so, they're like chaff. These are the people that choose otherwise. They choose not to plant their, their lives on the word of God, not to seek the Lord. They're like chaff. The chaff is the little shell on the outside of the wheat seed that is broken off and then shaken and it flies away in the wind. It's good for nothing. They're like chaff. They'll disappear. They will not stand in the judgment, nor in the assembly of the in the sinners will nor will sinners stand in the assembly of the righteous, because the Lord knows the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so, those who choose otherwise to listen to the counsel of the world to live their lives by the counsel of the world, to stand in the way of sinners thinking that it's life, they will perish without Christ. Those who do not choose Christ in this life will not have the privilege of being with Christ in the next. He's given us that opportunity now. He stands and he says, "'Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, "'I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, learn from me, for my burden is easy and my load is light. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. They will perish because they have not believed. And that's the just reward for those who choose not to seek the Lord or to choose his way. My desire for you, for myself, is that we will be truly blessed by the Lord, that we will walk in the counsel of the wise, that we will stand in the path of the righteous, and that we will sit in the place of praise and worship. That's why God has given you, brothers and sisters here, as a church community, to be encouraged by and, and to, to encourage one another in growth in your faith. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your savior, my plea to you, my urge to you is that you would open your heart to him and that you would receive him as your Lord and savior by faith, acknowledge that you're a sinner, believe that Christ died for you and ask him to come into your life His promise is that you will have eternal life and you will walk the life that is truly blessed. Let's pray.